Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined by our head of consulting, Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hi, Dom. How are you? Not so good. Oh, no. I'm kidding. But that's because today's topic is around cynicism, particularly when it comes to bringing in a culture development program or working on culture. I think a question we get pretty often, and it seems to be a persistent question, you know, it comes up is how do you deal with either an organization as a whole or people within the organization who are quite skeptical or even cynical about culture in general? And why bother working on it? And this is all a load of hoo-ha and all that kind of stuff. How do you deal with that? Where do you go with that as a consultant, as a practitioner? What's the best approach to it? So I'd love to pick your brain on that. Yeah, it's a great topic. And Dom, I actually think, if I think about our conference this year, I think we had, you know, in our sort of spate of questions, we had at least six or seven questions that came up all about cynicism, I think it's the number one thing that people often ask. How do I get buy-in? How do I get Mm. cynics across the line? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting one, right? Because I think that in some ways, maybe it's starting from the wrong track asking, how do we get cynics? A better question might be, why are they cynical? Because I would propose that, you know, you don't become cynical overnight. You're not born cynical. It's usually... And what is cynicism? It's when we doubt or we're suspicious, we don't believe in the motive or the effectiveness of something. And unfortunately, when we start working with organisations and and sometimes leaders and people and, you know, HR professionals will inherit organisations and they arrive and they find that people are really cynical. Well, it's important to understand what may have led to that cynicism. You don't want to dwell in it, I don't think, but But you you want to to appreciate the fact that it may have some basis in truth. And certainly I find that when I ask people, you know, what is it that they're suspicious about? You know, why are they a bit cynical about it? And I'm very curious about it, so I don't blame them for it. I don't, because I think sometimes there's good reason. And some of the reasons that people say is, this will be the fifth survey that I've completed and we have never heard what has happened to the last four surveys. Or, or nothing ever came of it. Nothing so maybe we heard about it, it, but nothing changed. We no heard one about it. We did the work. We've got a, a habit of actually not telling people what the results were and there's been no visible change. And you know what? Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I yeah. would be in the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> and I think too, the, on the build on that is sometimes it's not a survey. Some people mm. have spoken up and raised right, a concern right. around True. a behaviour or how a value is not being lived and they don't see anything happen or they don't get follow-up. They never, the kind of issue goes into dies a slow death and yep. they never hear anything back from it. So I think often people are cynical when they at one point may have been open and may have actually been advocates for it, but they've been let down, they've been hurt, they've been uh-huh. they've been shown that their faith was not well placed for whatever reason. Yep. 
The other thing I think that happens is when organisations announce values or, you know, the desire to want to be constructive, but everybody can point to someone who's, you know, seen as a high performer, gets results, behaves abominably. And, you know, that totally makes a lie of everything that the organisation has said. I was in an organisation recently who has a great commitment to creating constructive culture and someone said, oh, this person who's in the, you know, this particular team, really difficult to deal with. And unfortunately, they've just made this person permanent. They're on a contract. I said, well, why did they make him permanent if so many people complain about working with him? They said, oh, because he's apparently good at his job. And I thought, okay, that's interesting that, you know, part of your job is dealing with people and you're appalling at that, but you're good at task or technique. You're good in one dimension. So I think when something like that happens, people think, okay, well, you're not serious about the value of collaboration and sort of team. So I think there are a lot of reasons why people end up being cynical and it usually has to do with a lack of faith in the motive and the intention and and the the ability and the follow through. Yeah. You know, with those values, I think the mistake organizations make to it. These are our values. This is how we behave and live. And it's like, then everyone looks around and is like, no, it's not. Yeah. And I think it's okay. You know, in both of these examples, it's okay to say these are our aspirational values. Mm. This is what we aspire to. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Which is a different thing. It's saying, well, maybe we're not there yet or we're not there all the time. Yeah. But this is what we think is important. I love that, Dom. I think that's brilliant. There's an organization I'm working with at the moment. And we talked about what's already core, okay, so the values that are inherently really lived and good and closely held because everybody's passionate about it. We talked about core and we talked about aspirational, okay, so these are the things that we want to keep that is already embedded that we know is a strength and because the world's changed, these are the values we need more of and these are our aspirational values. And I really love that because it acknowledges what's good about our current state and what's working and what people really buy into. And so that's including something that's important now. And then it stretches. It says, okay, but we don't have this and we need it. And it acknowledges like we're not there yet. And I think that's the reality people need to hear is that you actually know that we're not there yet. Yeah. And it's the same with the first example of Hey, we, you know, we've launched things in the past and then we haven't followed through and we haven't executed on them. And I've run into a lot of organizations who want to pretend that that didn't happen and kind of put it under the carpet. But I think if that's out there and that's what people think, you got to talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. You know, hey, we sat on the results last time for eight months before we did anything with them and then they went nowhere. Or, you know, we've done this in the past and, and nothing happened. If that's true, then let's be true. Let's be honest. Yeah. Right. And then you got to ask people for some faith that something's going to be different this time. And I think that if leaders in particular can show some humility and say, we got it wrong, you know, we, we didn't do this. And I remember David LaRose, who was, who was country head of IBM in Australia, New Zealand, sort of 2017, 2018, when he came at the conference, he, he said the first thing that they did was to say, we got it wrong. You know, and and I think that that's important. And you and I work with a lot of organisations that are reaching out because they recognise either they want to 
take their, their culture's great. They want to take it to another level. But we also have organizations that are trying to shift, evolve, transform their culture. And one of the conclusions that I've come to is the first step is you've got to, where there's cynicism, you've got to build some goodwill. You know, you've got to build the relationship back with your people. You can't expect them to feel excited about something if there've been a whole load of broken promises about that same thing, you know, before you came. So I think you've got to build goodwill. You've got to start with where people are. And a lot of time when we work with culture, we don't go straight to the measurement. We go to what we call vision sprints or sessions where we get bring lots of people together. We will do that work with the leadership group, but we'll also do it with employees to get them to do exactly that, to listen to them, to hear about what they think works really well. What do they aspire to? And we just really try and start with where they're at and build momentum for hope, build momentum for enthusiasm for the potential of what might be. But I don't think you can jump there. I don't think so. No, you know, but uh, yes, with all of those, I think it's you got to have an honest and realistic assessment. Yeah. And I think people are scared to do that because it's like, oh, but if I say we made mistakes in the past, and people will be like, yeah, you did make mistakes in the past, Corinne, you know? And, and so people are scared of that, but they're still thinking that anyway, even if you don't say it. And so it's better just to own it and say, hey, I know it wasn't good enough last time. And hey, we're going to do it again, but this time we're going to do it properly. And then, of course, the key is that you 100% have to deliver this time. If Yeah, and that means don't boil the ocean. Don't make big promises. Just make some things that you know you're able to deliver. And I was thinking before, too, that I think that what you said, it made me laugh in terms of organizations not want to declare or admit or acknowledge anything that might be seen as negative or when it comes to culture results, defensive. Culture is like, you know, we don't want to show them all the results because they might dwell on the negative. But, you know, here's the flip on that. Sometimes if you're saying that you're going to do culture work, but you hold back on the defensive work, people will not be able to trust the survey process. Okay. They won't be able to trust the initiative because sometimes they need to see the transparent actual results in order to believe that we were serious. Okay. So that the results that you showed me did reflect my contribution. And so when you try and spin it, when you try and make it, you know, try and sell people on the idea that it's better than it is, people still it run doesn't through mesh that. with their reality. So they're yeah, like, and you hold lose on. trust. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't mesh with their reality. So I think first thing with you know, trying to work with people who might be cynical, so they're non-believers. You've got to understand where that came from, not to reinforce or to dwell in it, but really to understand and appreciate that there might be a reason for that. And that reason might be fair enough, you know. And then you're not trying to, don't try and get people excited. You know, the goal with a, someone who's, who might be cynical isn't that you're trying to get them enthusiastic or excited immediately. You want to understand where is this coming from? Why did it happen? If there's a good reason for it, acknowledge it. You're building, rebuilding the relationship. But the other thing is, I don't think you're going to, you're not wanting to sell how brilliant it is that we're doing that. You're, you're wanting to ask them 
to open their minds. Give us a go. Okay, that's all we're asking for is give us a chance. Give us a chance to try and show you that we're serious about it. And it's a humble, you know, request. It reminds me of a book I was reading recently, David Marquet's Leadership is Language. So David Marquet, famous for Turn the Ship Around, which is an amazing book. Love it. He's got another one, Leadership is Language. But there was an interesting thing in there where he talked about rather than striving for consensus, which is everyone's got to, well, in his definition, everyone had to kind of be like we had to convince people that they were this is awesome and they're all on board they're saying really strive for again to a level where will people support it with their actions yep and that's enough you know because you're not going to get everyone woohoo this is amazing but will they support it with their actions yeah that's a nice question isn't it you know which i like because that's a realistic threshold for something like this where it's like you don't have to be over the moon about it but will you actually follow through and do stuff or will you kind of wide ant it or sabotage it? That's- yeah, I like that. And the other thing I think too, that when we're working with culture, we don't go in there trying to build the rara. If that happens and people engage actively and they love the learning, you know, they've enjoyed the collaboration, that's a great byproduct. But really what we're looking for is that people get involved and that they care enough that they're listened to in those early stages to believe that, oh, okay, this might be different. That's what we're, we're going for because a lot of the time we do start with a cynical audience. So I think it's about listening, rebuilding rapport, repairing rapport, and then not trying to sell on the idea but trying to get them to be open, you know, open themselves again to something that is possible and not expecting everybody to react in the same way, to your point, but will they support it with their actions? And their actions initially, especially if they're cynical, might be that they don't undermine it. You know, they may not advocate, but they're not going to undermine it. They're going to give it a fair shot. Yeah. I haven't done this, but it'd be interesting, just a point blank question, will you support it with your actions? That would be an interesting question, like at an exec level or something, if someone's kind of not on board. And if they say no, well, then we need to have that conversation. So it's actually worth having up front. Another one I reckon I see, Corinne, is where you know it's kind of the this is airy-fairy type stuff and it's probably- Warm and fuzzy, airy-fairy. It's a reaction to in the past or things they've seen as kind of surface level BS for want of a better term. You know, it's not really addressing the actual problems. It's all kind of window dressing. Yeah. Which doesn't even work anyway. Yeah, I think that's fair is that there's a lot of big promises that are made and then not much gets delivered and not much changes or it's the cosmetic. It's the cosmetic only. It's not the, you know, it's the social drinks. It's the, you know, going out as a team. But that isn't We're going to get pizzas on Friday. It's like that doesn't change the fact that I'm micromagined and can't make any decisions. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Do it by all means because Nothing it can be fun, there, but yeah, you've got to you got to change the substantive stuff that actually right. creates the problem. I think, oh, yeah, I think that's right. I think that it's too high level, it's global, and I think sometimes you know organisations can make a big announcement, a big launch of a, a piece of work. Where I think there's a risk that goes with that because if you're not like that, if that rhetoric doesn't mesh with reality automatically I think people are more predisposed not to believe it. Whereas I think if you look at trying to 
And one of the things that I've started to work with the execs on is what decisions can you make right now that is going to result in visible proof of serious commitment? So even one decision that you can make right now that responds to the feedback that you've got from people, because then it's tangible, it's unarguable. You said this, we did this as a result. And that, I think that that's what show people need. Show me the evidence, you know. So I think that's really important. And when you talked about sometimes people um, are sceptical or cynical because nothing much happens, I think that's also true for leaders. So a lot of the questions we get is how do you get buy-in from senior leaders? How do you get buy-in from the CEO? And I think the first thing that you've got to do is really Again, build your relationship with them, listen to them, see the world from their perspective, understand what keeps them up at night. And then the question becomes, is culture going to help remedy that, fix it? And if so, then how? I don't know how you build a case for change if you don't really understand what's important to the leadership group. Yes, and I think sometimes it can be presented as, a culture for culture's sake. Yes. Like, and I see that quite a bit. And it's something I always, like, if I'm introducing the How Culture Works model, I look at, you know, these are the outcomes we measure, which are, you know, satisfaction, motivation, teamwork, da, 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 generic kind of ones that apply to all companies. But I always point out to say, but, you know, if I could put another box here, it would be what are the metrics that matter to you? Yeah. What is the performance and stuff that matters to you as an organization? Because this culture work has to, move the dial on that stuff. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. And, you know, there's a little exercise that we do where we ask leaders exactly that. What are the measures that matter to you and how are you doing on them in terms of the organization? And if anything, on a scale of one to 10, and if it's, you know, below a, a sort of a seven or an eight, it's like what's getting in the way. And invariably, 90%, 95% of the list that of things get are cultural issues. But you start with where they are at. And then you understand that. And then from that understanding, you can make an assessment. How is culture going to respond? How is it going to help remedy that? And I think that if that's really, sometimes with leaders, there might be other hidden agendas where they're blocking things and that might, that's harder to do anything about. But if it's a rational argument, then usually you can, if you understand it, you can put forward a case for how it would deal with it. Do you reckon as well, just on that, you know, the maybe blocking it and stuff, I wonder if sometimes leaders block it because they are worried that they actually won't be able to affect, affect it and affect change. And I wonder if it's because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of talk about culture and I think not that much understanding of culture mm. genuinely and particularly what drives it. Mm. And so people actually don't know. It's so like the way it's often talked about and, you know, you read blogs and news articles and whatever. It's very amorphous, this thing out there. It's a vibe. The vibe, right? Well, how do you change the vibe? I'm like, oh, my God. Well, something I love about what we do with the How Culture Works model mm. is break down the causes of culture. And you can, hey, you can actually do this thing differently, you know. And well, it's interesting. I've had a couple. I've had one CEO who asked me, probably this was last year, he said, can you actually change it? So a lot of people think it's fixed. Well, if you don't know how, you can't. He said, can you change it? Like, this is just the way, this is just what the culture is. And in the last sort of few months, I've had a few people come up to me. Once 
working in an organization with undergoing extreme transformation, everything is changing. And I was a bit, I was curious as to whether this workshop, we were doing a preliminary workshop on culture to see, I was trying to learn about the organization and get some insight. And then I was curious to see how people would respond to it because we, we were, they were in the thick of the change. And I think that sometimes when your job's on the line, you're not really wanting to sit in a culture workshop. But I was curious and then a couple of people came up to me and one person in particular said, you know what, I didn't really want to come to this workshop, but the one thing, you know, it was better than I thought. I love that as an outcome. That's what I'm going for. It was better than I thought. But also she said, I didn't realize that you could change culture. I just thought it was what it was. And I've had that a couple of times. So sometimes people, leaders think that it's fixed and they're not going to be able to change it, especially if they're not the CEO. And I think that sometimes too, maybe there's a bit of fear because once you start doing culture work, there's a lot more spotlight on the leader and more accountability. Well, it goes back to that follow through thing. You know, like once you announce it and, and we've measured it and here are the outcomes, if you don't follow through, it's a problem. Yeah. You know, and because it builds cynicism over time. Right? Yeah. So, so it yeah. is really important you follow through. Yeah. And I was thinking there's a story that one of, you know, a, a leader of, people and culture once told me because this company had started culture work probably a year into her the role and I'd asked her, I said, how did you get them on board? And she said, well, I spent the first year just getting to know them, the leaders and the CEO. And by the time I raised this as something, a strategic issue we could work on, They didn't really have a full understanding of what it meant or what it looked like, but they trusted me and they were comfortable enough with me and trust me that they went along with it. And to me, that's the answer, right? That's how you influence people, isn't it? you influence them. And you influence, I think, and sometimes people take it to mean that I'm selling somebody on my view. The best influencers are the one who are prepared to be influenced. You know, if you're prepared to be changed, then you're curious. You're not holding it rigidly. So I think that that's really important is build rapport. Don't be in a hurry to do it. You know, take the time, understand what drives the business, what actually drives the leaders who are responsible, accountable for the business. Step, walk a mile in their shoes and understand, you know, the connection. How are you going to explain the connection to them? How do I explain to Dom the connection between culture and the issues that he's facing in, you know, his part of the business or the organization. That's very, very important. I think that that's sometimes what people don't understand is you build the relationship, you demonstrate constructive behavior, then it it gives you a platform to be able to build a case for change, which is that's where you get the content, you get the ideas about, you know, what is it going to improve? Why would I be interested in this? You know, the other one, I just want to get your thoughts on as well, because one of the other cynicisms or pushbacks to this can be, you know, is constructive actually better? And I think this comes up more so in a aggressive red environment, whereas it's like, you know, is it always better? I remember being in a meeting where I'd been with an exec team and sort of stepped through, you know, what's, what culture would bring the best out of you and the organization, what would help us achieve our strategy? This kind of conversation, of course, lots of constructive. But there was this one guy, the CFO, who was just if oppositional. You know, if, if you looked up oppositional in the dictionary, there'd be a picture of this guy. 
off the charts. And it was kind of funny. Everyone was teasing him because they knew, they knew, like, he'd, whatever the topic, he's oppositional to it. But he sort of pushed back, well, what about, you know, this business and that business who are highly aggressive and successful? You know, so what about that? What about that? So it's a lot of what aboutisms. Yeah. And so how do you approach that? Whereas it's like, you know, I don't necessarily believe that actually constructive is better. Mm. I think the, uh, you know, the way you approach it is you show the evidence. You know, you show something that's an objective fact. And we've got a lot of case study that shows, and recent case studies too, where organisations have improved top and bottom line. Every KPI that you can name, we have evidence of this KPI improving as the culture got more constructive. To me, that is a completely winnable argument. We've got so much evidence of that. So I think in responding to it in that moment, if it's a genuine question versus they're adopting a competitive posture. It's a stonewalling posture, yeah. You know, stonewalling, then that's not simply about whether this is constructive is better. And I think that that's one of the issues, right? So very often I go into organisations and they'll, you know, the P&C team will want us to talk to their people and culture team, want us to talk to the leadership group. Now, if there is a rational reason, and by rational I mean there is that question's motivated by a genuine query about whether constructive is better, if I show you the evidence that proves that that is the case, that should do. Okay, but sometimes it doesn't. It's not enough. So then you've got to ask yourself, what else is going on? Because it's I've shown, I've addressed every single query that they had. So it's something more about them. So like that leader could have been more interested in winning and being seen to win or critiquing than actually taking on board. So I think one of the things, if you are going to make the case for change, you've got to be clear your knowledge has got to be good around what evidence is there that this will actually add value or capture value? I, I often, because um, I think if someone doesn't want to hear that argument, they won't hear it. Because I guess there's, there's examples to the contrary, right? Like there are successful companies that are highly aggressive, at least for some time. Yeah. You know, but currently very successful perhaps, but then, you know, they go. Over time. And, you know, that it might be the other thing is you show organizations that have been celebrated with aggressive cultures, Enron being a classic, and then eventually failing. Catches up with them. Yeah. Sometimes though, like if I'm going around the circumplex or even to a question to them is looking at the styles in terms of payoff and trade-off. So, hey, there's some useful stuff about oppositional. You know, we've got to look at, you know, we can't just pretend everything's fine and yeah, whatever. Does it ever come with a trade-off though? And try to get them to name that. Yeah. Because if they refuse to name any kind of trade-off, well, then you know what game they're in, yes. right? Because it's like, well, you know, if we're looking for the downside of everything, finding the flaw, pointing out the faults, opposing indirectly, does that ever come with a cost, yeah. do you think? Because then you start getting them to, well, yes, yeah. that could come with some issues. And I think too, you know, they could probably find a case where they've got a really aggressive culture, but it's actually, it is about the cost. Okay, so there's no arguing that they're probably going to be delivering things, you know, and they might be successful. The question is, what is the cost of pushing people that they work long and hard hours relentlessly? What's their turnover like? Because that's going to be 
costing them money, especially in this marketplace now. Uh, in fact, I was doing some work with an organisation where the leaders recognised it had a very aggressive defensive culture and they were working to try and change it. Somebody said to me, we used to have a kind of an attitude of we kind of work people really hard and then if they leave, we'll just replace them. And then they said, and, you know, now we can't do that anymore because there's we can't find people. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. You know, so it's getting them if you can because I think if you show people the evidence, I don't know if they'll accept it, but if they kind of generate the answer themselves, so to speak, yeah, by pointing out, you know, finding, okay, this might be the trade-off. To me, I've had success with that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, I think. But sometimes I think too when you're in a group, it's harder to get them to admit that. Mm, yes. I think the way to start with a group is to say, what are the challenges that you're having? Why do you think those challenges exist? And get them to identify because pretty much I've never been able, I've never not been able to link the cha- the why the challenges exist to culture. You know, I've never been able, I've never not been able, I think, to, <laughs> what many, am I saying? What am I saying? Don't do what don't yeah. don't does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I get where you're going, yep. Yeah, it all links back somewhere, yeah. And so you're probably, it's probably a nice move is get it up front, what are the challenges and then. And then help them realise. Where does that come from? Yeah. I think the other thing that your point is help them to question themselves so that help them to realise the assumptions that they're resting on might be flawed or that there's a cost for it and then show them the evidence. Cool. Tricky one. Tricky one. Tricky one. Look, and I think too people often need quite a bit of courage and to be bold to have these kind of conversations. You know what, just on that, which I was going to say before, in the group situation, they're not ready to admit that or say, sometimes it's a a nice move, just let it hang in the air. You know, is there, is, there any, is there ever a downside to being highly oppositional? No. Okay. <laughs> you know, just let it hang for a Because everyone's sitting there like, uh, okay. Like everyone, including them, know if you just let it hang in a bit of silence for a yeah. second, you know. Have you ever had that, Dom, where people said that they couldn't see any downside at all? Not really. Not often. You know, and that's kind of to my point is like, Everyone, if they're being at all reasonable, will say, yeah. yes, there are some trade-offs. Yeah. Now, they might argue, well, the trade-offs are worth the, Correct. the price yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so I've on, but that. they can at least acknowledge, like, yes, there are risks that come with operating in that way. Mm. You know, And so at least if they can acknowledge that, then you can actually have a conversation, right, versus no, it never comes with any kind of downside. Well, yeah. you know, it's hard to go anywhere from there, right? But you plant the seed yep. with them because in their heart they know, Yeah, I think. <laughs> You're being skeptical uh, about my. See me. No, I'm not being skeptical. I'm thinking about whether I think. Yeah, I think sometimes in their heart that knows, but I think sometimes they're so invested in believing that. Right. They just believe that yeah, it's true. Fair enough. But you know that's the power of the group as well because you're not going to have you're going to have at least one person who doesn't agree with it. You know, and then back to you know the group is on board. You know, you don't have to buy all the way into it but will you support it with your actions yeah yeah this is the direction the group wants to go and will you support it with your actions i love that question i think it's a good little judo move or something you know to get around having to convince them if they're yeah. unconvincible yeah is that a word i will take it i know what you mean there you go we've, we've invented a word good note to end on thanks corinne <laughs> thanks tom 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au. Thank you.